Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Sullivan. Today on a special edition of the program, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau joins us for an extensive interview on the biggest challenges facing his government, starting with China threats. This is a huge priority for our government. Uh, we are extremely seized of this issue. Is Canada headed for a trade war with China? Are Canadians in China in danger? The Prime Minister weighs in on Canada being dragged into a dangerous fight. Then, pipeline pain. As the owners of this resource, we are saying once and for all, let's stop the talk and start acting. As Western anger rises at the government's lack of support for the oil crisis in Alberta, will the Prime Minister support a relief pipeline heading east? Plus, broken promises. Will broken promises on deficits and election reform catch up to Justin Trudeau as we head into an election year? We find out, and then opposition critics from the Conservatives and the NDP weigh in on the Prime Minister's track record. Can his answers withstand scrutiny? We find out. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. Well, with the next federal election less than a year away, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is suddenly facing his toughest challenges. Alberta is reeling from the collapse of oil prices. What immediate relief can the government provide? Multiple provinces have now turned on the Trudeau climate plan. Will he still push it through? And now China has turned its diplomatic guns on Canada in the wake of the recent arrest of the chief financial officer from Huawei. How will the prime minister deal with these and many other issues now piling up? To find out, we went to Toronto and met Mr. Trudeau at the Lincoln Alexander Secondary School for a wide-ranging interview. Prime Minister Trudeau, great to see you. Welcome to Question Period. Great to be here. Let's start with China top of the agenda. Obviously, Canada detained the CFO of Huawei, the large Chinese telecom company. Now China has detained two Canadian citizens. Do you believe that the Chinese government detained those citizens in retaliation for what Canada's done? We're uh, taking the situation very seriously. We're engaging with China, uh, talking to the appropriate authorities and, and uh, providing consular assistance to their families. But all through this and through whatever happens around the world, Canada stays consistent with the rule of law and with uh, applying our judicial system, and we will always will. Okay, the question is, are they consistent with rule of law? Have you demanded, they've demanded the release of the Chinese citizen. Have you talked to President Xi or any Chinese officials and demanded the release of the Canadians? We have engaged with the Chinese officials to uh, determine what exactly uh, conditions are they being uh, detained under? Why are they being detained? We're asking questions because we take seriously uh, the situations like this. Are you concerned more Canadians are going to be detained by the Chinese? Uh, we continue to be concerned about the, the situation that Canadians are in all around the world and our our responsibility is to do everything we can to keep them safe today tomorrow and the next day and that's how we behave in a consistent way they're threatening serious consequences they're saying that our judiciary is not independent that we're american puppets in all this again I, i'm just mm -hmm. i understand you keep mm -hmm. saying that they keep acting when are we going to stand up for our Canadian citizens. Well, I think stepping back, one of the things that we have to understand is when there is a conflict like this, like there is between the United States and China, where we're talking about an escalating trade war, we're talking about significant clashes between uh, the world's two largest economies, there are going to be unintended consequences all around the world, are we including in damage? Canada. What we need to do 
is make sure that we continue to stay standing up for Canadians, stay strong on our values, project those values around the world, and yes, stand up for Canadians as we are doing right now. There are real concerns that Huawei, the telecom company at the heart of this, is an agent of the Chinese state or can be used as such. Our Five Eyes partner, partners, Australia, New Zealand, the United States, even Japan, have said that Huawei should not be part of the backbone of our next generation of wireless, what they call the 5G. They've blocked them because they're concerned. Your former national security advisor, Dick Fadden, was on this program saying you should do the same thing. He's the former head of CSIS as well. Will you block Huawei? Well, I, I listen to the current head of CSIS and our current uh, agencies, uh, agency heads and our extraordinary national security uh, uh, apparatus. They make recommendations about how we move forward. Uh, yes, obviously uh, the world has seen and we share concerns uh, around uh, various aspects of vulnerability or potential vulnerability in our, in our uh, internet and communication systems uh, and that's why we take appropriate measures. But we will make those decisions based on the recommendations of our security agencies, not based on politics. Okay, but do you consider Huawei, uh, and you've seen how the Chinese are acting on this, do you consider that they are a threat to our national security, and they, therefore you're concerned if they became part of our 5G network? The, the determination of the threat they represent is something that we entrust with our professionals in our intelligence and security agencies. And that is very much who we work with and we listen to to determine how best to protect Canadians, both uh, in their physical security and their cyber security. How do you promote free trade with a country like China when they're threatening Canada and they don't respect the rule of law? I think we understand that the world's second largest economy and growing is uh, somewhere that Canadians have to be engaged with. And this has been a challenge with China and with many countries around the world for a long time, that uh, we have to engage economically for the sake of jobs and economic growth, but we need to do so in a way that is true to our values and, and stands up for Canadians' interests. And getting that balance right is complex, uh, has been made more difficult by recent uh, trends in the world, but is something that we will consistently do in a thoughtful, responsible way. You have keep saying we've got to apply the rule of law, especially to this case. But Donald Trump, the president of the United States, openly said we might intervene in the case of Meng Wanzhou, the CFO of Huawei, if I can get a better deal with China. He instantly politicized the situation. Did he undermine Canada and your position? Well, listen, I can't speak for what happens in other countries, but in Canada, we take very seriously the rule of law. We will apply and protect the independence of our judiciary uh, because that's what Canadians expect and that's what the I world know, expects from us. I understand that answer, but did he undermine that position by politicizing it? It looked like he did. Again, when you have conflicts like this between the United States and China, there are real unintended consequences for the entire world that we're very much worried about. You talk about the potential being caught in the middle of that trade war between China and the U.S. When we signed that, let's call it the new NAFTA deal, mm -hmm. one of the controversial sections was that the United States gets essentially a veto over whether Canada does a free trade deal with China. Many believe that was an infringement on our sovereignty. Why did you sign that? That was actually the first act ask. That was the opening position that the Americans wanted. And we actually changed that clause significantly. So what it means is uh, when one of the NAFTA partners signs a free trade deal with China, or if we do, uh, we have to keep the others apprised of what's in it. That's all it says. 
If it's so benign, why did they want it so badly? Because they did want Political it. reasons. What does that mean? Well, they're engaged in uh, very difficult negotiations with China around a potential escalating trade war. Doesn't it tie your hands? If you want to now go make a deal with China, the United States got their thumb on, on you and say, you are our sphere of influence. You better show us everything but that you're doing. Similarly, if the U.S. decides to negotiate a trade deal with China, they need to apprise us on it. I think that's uh, fair, and certainly the relationship between the United States and Canada and, and Mexico is close enough that we should be apprising our, our, our nearest and best uh, neighbors of how we're moving forward in a thoughtful way. Andrew Scheer keeps accusing you of capitulating by signing that deal, saying you shouldn't have signed that deal without getting rid of the steel and aluminum tariffs. Why did you sign a deal when those tariffs, not only are they still here, but Donald Trump is tweeting out, I'm tariff man. It doesn't look like they're going anywhere. I think a couple of things. First of all, it's, it's a bit rich for the conservatives to be talking about that because Stephen Harper a few months ago said we should sign a deal. Any deal, trade with the U.S. is too important. We disagree, and that's why we held out and we negotiated very stringently to protect Chapter 19, for example, to protect our cultural exemption and ensure that it applies to digital platforms. We made sure that we were protecting supply management, for example. Yes, we had to make concessions for our dairy farm uh, on our dairy farms, but we protected supply management. But not we the tariffs. Though, the deal. tariffs are still there. When the, are, you got to tell Canadians when you are going to get rid of them, because that is. That's a sort of Damocles over this. Uh, yes. No, the tariffs uh, are hurting Canadians. They're also hurting Americans. Uh, Mr. Trump's tariffs and his counter-tariff, and the counter-tariffs we brought in, uh, are doing what tariffs do, which is driving up prices for consumers on both sides of the border and uh, causing difficulty for, uh, for, for businesses. And that's why we're working with businesses in the United States, uh, members of Congress, governors, who are very much working with us to convince the government uh, of the United States to remove those tariffs. Although he keeps tweeting that he is tariff man, so he doesn't seem to be uh, backing off. Donald Trump has undermined the NATO agreement. He's criticized the NATO alliance, the Paris Accord, the Climate Accord, a lot of international alliances and treaties that you openly support. Is Donald Trump a destabilizing force in the world? I think what Canadians expect me to do is have a constructive relationship with whomever is the President of the United States. And I've demonstrated that I'm very capable of standing up for Canadians' values, Canadians' interests, while engaging in a way uh, that seeks common ground with, uh, with our nearest neighbor and closest trading partner. How do you read his tweets? We're all reading his tweets every day. Do you take those seriously and literally? I think they are part of the communications coming from the White House, from the President, and they need to be, they need to be noted. I think you, we all make our determinations on, on how we take them. My job uh, is to make sure that no matter how I feel or how I personally might, might react, uh, that everything I do is standing up for Canadians and promoting Canadians' interests and, and, and values, and that's what I do. All right, when we come back, is there a double standard when it comes to pipelines? Why is the Prime Minister pushing for one pipeline to go through British Columbia, but not for another that would go through Quebec? Part two of our extended conversation with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau when we come back. Stay right here with Question Period. Protests, anger, even now talk of Western separation, not just alienation. Those are just signs of the growing hostility toward two of Justin Trudeau's signature projects, expanding a pipeline through British Columbia and implementing 
his carbon tax. In part two of our conversation with the Prime Minister, I wanted to find out how he's going to convince Canadians he's on the right path. Got to talk about pipelines. The Trans Mountain Pipeline, your government bought it for over $4 billion. Uh, Bill Morneau was on this program, your finance minister. He said the shovels will be in the ground for construction season. That's passed. When will the shovels go in the ground? Well, I mean, the Federal Court of Appeals came forward and said uh, that we need to do a better job of consulting with Indigenous peoples and getting the science, particularly in regards to the environment, right on that. So we went, uh, we're going back through the process to try and make sure that we can get it right. Because one of the most important things, even more important than just any one pipeline, is a process whereby we can get big projects approved and built. Yes, Canada is moving forward on you know, the knowledge economy, on innovation, but we're also always going to be a country that relies on natural resources. And getting these projects built the right way matters. But there's and some that's they're not doing. getting built in any way. Well, they're so not are, they gonna, are they going to be built in the next construction season? Uh, we're, we're working through uh, the blueprint that the Federal Court of Appeals put forward uh, to try and make sure that it it gets done the right way, and that, that's the approach that we can take. Now, there are folks out there who says we, sh we should simply legislate this or we should you know, override the courts. The fact is the approach of trying to marginalize indigenous voices and ignore the environmental concerns was what Stephen Harper tried for 10 years, and he couldn't get things built. The His concern is that to your bills, like 69, mm -hmm. these pipeline assessment bills, they're so onerous that they're going to ensure nothing ever gets built, that mm -hmm. they'll be suffocated under a series of virtuous assessments that leads to nothing. I, I've, under, I've heard that concern at many people, and we've actually sat down and talked with those people about what's in C69. First all, you have to understand, C69 is an improvement over the existing environmental assessment that Stephen Harper put in place in 2012, which failed to be able to get license to build projects. So what we've done is we've done one project, one assessment. We're getting rid of some of the doubling that happened at the provincial and the federal level. We're making it clearer. We're making tighter timelines that we'll be stuck to. We're doing the kinds of things that investors and business have asked for to get clarity so things can get done so they can know whether or not to move forward with a project. Me, That's me, what we're doing. Meantime, your, your former ally, Premier Notley, in, in Alberta is very angry. Mm. They call it a crisis. Uh, they, it is a crisis. It is a crisis. One other way to go is to say, and this would hit a couple things, stop importing 80,000 barrels of oil a day from Saudi Arabia for Canadians in the East and reignite the Energy East pipeline. That would help Alberta, that would help the refineries in the East, and you could actually get off a dependence on Saudi Arabian oil. Why not do that? First of all, uh, the situation that uh, Albertans are going through now is of extreme concern. They are, they are being hit with a differential that is uh, a discount on Canadian oil uh, that is really, really hurting them. And that's why uh, we've been working with the Alberta government, with uh, Alberta industry, to try and support people. And we're going to continue to be there. We're looking at a broad range of solutions. Um, the pipeline the, is the, the solution. They, they, they don't want EI. But, they want a but, job and a pipeline. Yes, but the pipe for, in order for a pipeline to come online this week, it would have had to be started effectively uh, under the previous Conservative government. And we know that didn't happen because they didn't have the right approach on pipelines. So any solution as we move forward. Right now, Albertans need help now, next week, next month. Uh, and we know that pipelines and even rail cars are a medium-term solution. We are working very hard on making sure that the Line 3 uh, gets in place uh, by, uh, by next fall, which is what we're 
aiming for because we've approved that. We're working forward. We, we saved the Trans Mountain expansion by buying that Trans Mountain expansion pipeline. Now we have to move forward in the right way on it. Okay, so just real quick answers then. Are you open to revitalizing an Energy East pipeline? Uh, there is no project on the table. The, the proponent has walked away uh, and there is But if no the government came mm. forward to uh, de-risk it as you did with the one, the Trans Mountain, you, you can't, maybe you'd get a proponent. You can't de-risk in, in absence of a project and there is, there is clarity that <clears throat> under the current approach, uh, there is no support for a pipeline through Quebec. What indigenous people just want to know, and uh, very importantly, do you, the Prime Minister, believe indigenous people need to give consent which is a veto for a pipeline or just consultation. Is it consent? The, the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous yeah. Peoples uh, talks about free prior informed consent. And the consent process is, uh, is about engaging substantively and listening to the concerns. Now, you're never going to get unanimity on any project. I'm Prime Minister not because I was unanimously elected by all Canadians, but because we have a system that came forward with a consensus uh, you know, through our processes that I would serve as Prime Minister so for this mandate. So consent's not a veto. Consent's yeah. cons okay. Carb, your most controversial policy is carbon. And I, maybe it's your signature policy. Are you listening to the provinces? A lot of them don't want your price on carbon. Will you change it or will you impose this backstop on them? I'm listening to Canadians. They know we need to act. One of the problems and the fundamental problem, and economists say this and climate scientists say this and all you know, experts say this, is that pollution is free and so we have too much of it. So we are putting a price on pollution so that people pollute less while at the same time helping families through this transition. There's two problems with that. Mm -hmm. The first question is, despite the targets that your government has set, which were the same as Stephen Harper, even the environmental commissioner says, you are not going to hit the Paris targets. You're still falling short. Raising the question, are you going to even put a steeper price on carbon in, if you were reelected in order to hit those targets? Uh, the, the price on carbon we have put forward actually uh, increases every year. And even we are confident. Bucks, and we bucks, are confident we are going to hit our How Paris are you targets. Confident? Nobody else thinks you're going to make, make the targets. Actually, that's not true. There's a lot of people who know that we're going to With make the those targets. With the current plan, you think you're going to meet the targets? We target? know. Uh, that the combination of putting a price on pollution, of investing record numbers in, in clean energy, right. in renewables, we are making massive investments uh, in uh, supporting communities and families uh, move towards a lower carbon economy, creating good jobs, uh, looking at lower emission vehicles. There is a package of things, not just a price on pollution, but a whole uh, range of things we can do, not just to fight climate change, but to create a cleaner economy in a way that is affordable for Canadians. When you say a price on pollution, you don't use the word carbon tax anymore. Maybe it's a political reason. But well, it's, it's so, what it is. It's, you know, but carbon it's still, emissions it's a carbon are a pollution. It's, they're a, a, it's, a, it's pollution. We're putting a price. We're not, we're not letting... Tax. Well, you can, you can call it what you like, but the idea is that we are no longer making pollution free. But therein is the second question. Consumers say, well, the price of gas for me is going up, but under Justin Trudeau's plan... Big emitters get an 80% exemption. So it's almost free for the big emitters, certainly not free for the consumer. That's actually not true. We are uh, putting stringent limits on, 
on the, on the large emitters because everyone needs to do their part. But, you know, you're right. The, the conservatives are trying to pick away different pieces of our plan and, and misrepresenting it in all sorts of ways, and that's, that's fine. That's, that's the nature of politics. But the question we have, and the question you had for Andrew Scheer when he was on, was what is his plan? Well, we'll in see. 2019, if someone wants to be prime minister of this country, one of the fundamental responsibilities to build a cleaner economy for the future, and he has demonstrated a complete unwillingness, not even not to present a plan, but to actually admit that there is a problem okay, that we have to solve. Okay, but the last question on your plan is these rebates, people are going to get money back. Mm -hmm. How does that change behavior? If I do the same thing and then I, you're pay, you're, I'm getting more money back, what is my incentive to change my behavior? For a lot of people, it seems illogical. Indeed, but it's not. It actually works that if you put a price on pollution, if someone chooses to change their behaviors, uh, they still get the money back and they save money by changing their behaviors. Uh, and we get to move forward in a concrete way in a plan that you know, Nobel Prize winning economists have pointed out will reduce uh, our carbon emissions and fight climate change effectively. All right, if the controversy over pipelines and carbon pricing were not enough, the Prime Minister is facing another big question, trust. How does he explain why he broke his promise on balancing the books? Will he ever balance them in the future? And what does he think about Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump? That's next in the final part of our conversation with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Stay right here with Question Period. Well, in less than a year, voters will choose a new government. Will Justin Trudeau's broken promises now come back to haunt him? In the final part of our conversation, I wanted to find out how he explains his trust deficit on the deficit. Let's move quickly through a couple of key election issues. Deficits. Mm -hmm. You broke your deficit problem, uh, promise in the last election. You said we'd have a balance. By now, we're 19 billion over. Do, does Justin Trudeau believe that balancing the books is not important. Clearly, On you have contrary. no plan to, ba to no. balance. We, we, we take very seriously the idea of fiscal responsibility, and we know that there's people concerned about fiscal responsibility and our approach. We have a very different approach than the Conservatives did. We believe putting money in infrastructure, putting money in the pockets of middle-class Canadians actually helps grow the economy, and it has. Uh, we've got the lowest unemployment in 40 years. We've created 800,000 new jobs. We are showing a growing economy after 10 years of anemic growth. Every single year we are reducing our debt as a share of our whole economy in a way that is better than just about any other country in the world. I was under the impression that on sunny days you fix your roof and, and what's happening is your deficit spending to create growth. Those are all true numbers but uh, foreign direct investment is down. Productivity is down. Actually, Competitiveness. No, no, foreign, no, no, sorry. Foreign direct investment no, is, is... No, no, okay. see, you but, can't just, well, no, you but, can't just take a piece of it, the, Evan. That's not, yes. but that's an yes. incredibly yes. important but part of our but foreign direct investment is up across the economy, our, our, a little down in the oil patch. And that is significant, and we are working on that. But let's not misrepresent how well our economy is doing. The concern is what happens when we hit a recession. Okay. If you're running $19 billion deficits now, 
your fiscal capacity to deal with a rainy day is got to be worse. Actually, that's not true. When Canadians have better jobs, when they have more education, we have, when we have solid infrastructure, either uh, climate change, uh, you know, uh, uh, resilient infrastructure uh, to protect us from floods, or uh, more public transit, or more housing, Canadians do better, even if there are difficult times in the economy. That's the choice we made, to invest in our communities, to invest in our future, and that's what's giving Canadians confidence. Elections coming up. Will you call an early election or will you rule that out? No, we, we will have an election on the fixed election date of uh, October 21st, I believe it is. What is the biggest, what will the ballot box question be in this election? It'll be uh, who has the right plan to uh, ensure a better future for Canadians. Part of the election will be about trust. The last election you promised election reform, you broke the promise. You promised balanced budgets, you, you broke the promise. Why should people trust you? Uh, we have uh, committed to we committed to growing the economy in ways that works for Canadians, and we have done that after ten years of the lowest growth rate since the Great Depression under Stephen Harper. We've created strong growth in Canada. We've helped millions of Canadians with things like the Canada Child Benefit. We've invested in infrastructure. Uh, we've uh, moved forward on reconciliation with Indigenous peoples in real ways. We are delivering on the very ambitious promises we made to Canadians. Well, let, let's look at one of the promises which Canada is back. You used to say that a lot. But just look at Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. With the, the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, many attribute that Mohammed bin Sal Salman, MBS, the, the crown prince, was responsible for that. We haven't cancelled the $1 billion light armoured vehicle contract to them. We're still importing 80,000 barrels of oil a day. And we didn't put him on the sanctions list. Well, first is of all, that what it means the, to be Canada's back the, to do that? The, the murder of a journalist is absolutely unacceptable, and that's why Canada from the very beginning had been demanding answers and solutions on that. Secondly, we inherited actually a $15 billion contract signed by Stephen Harper to export light armored vehicles uh, to Saudi Arabia. Uh, we are engaged uh, with the export permits to try and see if there is a way uh, of, uh, of no longer exporting these vehicles to Saudi Arabia. Prime Minister, the last question I've got is about the most important thing to Canadians is health care. There's two fundamental issues. The first is pharmacare. Many people believe you will announce a national pharmacare plan. There are people dying because they can't afford drugs. There are Canadians borrowing money because they can't afford drugs. Will you put on the table a national pharmacare program? Uh, well, we understand how important health care is. That's why we move forward on historic investments in mental health uh, and in home care for our seniors uh, as a commitment last but time. Pharmacare. This time we have asked a panel of experts uh, led by Dr. Eric Hoskins uh, to look at pharmacare in Canada and make recommendations for us early in the new year on what, the, what way we can move forward uh, to go at this problem that yes, Canadians are, are extremely worried about and we will act. All right, here's some rapid fire questions. Uh, hardest moment in the last year? Um, le leaving my family for long trips at any given moment. World leader you get you best get along with? Mm, probably Jacinda Ardern of New Zealand. She's a, 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 an excellent, uh, excellent person and a strong progressive. One word to describe Donald Trump? Unpredictable. One word to describe Vladimir Putin? Problematic. Sussex Drive, renovate it or tear it down and rebuild it? The problem with that is it's not a decision that the Prime Minister should be making. It's a decision that Canadians need to reflect on. Biggest regret? This year, the India trip. 
there were good things that came out of it, but uh, uh, it was... Uh, what it was, about it do you regret? Uh, I think there were lots of things we'd do differently. Uh, I think the good things that came out of it were overshadowed by, uh, by headlines. Prime Minister, thank you for taking the time. We really appreciate it, and we know you're at home here in the uh, science lab. Ah, it's great to be here. Great to be back in the classroom. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Evan. And if you want to see the complete interview with the Prime Minister, just go online at ctvnews.ca. But coming up, can the Prime Minister's answers withstand the scrutiny of the scrum? They join us next to break it all down with special guest, the Deputy Leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, Lisa Raitt. Stay with Question Period. When you have conflicts like this between the United States and China, there are real unintended consequences for the entire world that we're very much worried about. Well, the Prime Minister didn't mince his words. He told me that he is very much worried about the escalating trade war between China and the United States and that Canada will be hurt, an unanticipated consequence. It's already happening, though. China is threatening Canada with serious economic consequences. Two Canadians have been provocatively detained in China. Is the Prime Minister's desire to get a free trade deal making him naive to the genuine threats from China or not? To talk about that and the Prime Minister's unapologetic attitude towards large deficits the scrum has gathered. Tonda McCharles is here from the Toronto Star. Bob Fife, the Bureau Chief of the Globe and Mail, is here. Craig Oliver, CTV's Chief Political Commentator, with his signature wave. We all need a signature there, Craig. I like it. And our special guest today, the Deputy Leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, Lisa Raitt. Good morning to all of you. Well, we've all watched the Prime Minister's interview, and let me just start, uh, Lisa Raitt, with you. And we'll start with China, because that's the issue of the moment. Um, what did you think of the, the Prime Minister's remark given the fact that two Canadians are now in detention. I thought it was a pretty cold way of describing of what's going on. I mean, he launched into standing up for the rule of law, but he didn't say he was going to stand up for these two souls who have been picked up in China and are, first of all, we're not even, we couldn't even talk to them. And luckily now we can get some consular services into them. But this is a, a real human issue. And it's not just about standing up for the rule of law and trade issues. We need to make sure that these folks are going to be okay and that they're returned to us and that we should be asking for them to be returned. I was struck by the fact that he, um, nevertheless, that is true, but uh, around those two individuals, but he nevertheless, uh, struck a very concerned note about the state of uh, global relations and U.S.-China relations and how there will be a huge spillover from this and that he's very worried about it. Um, it, it was almost, there was almost a sense that they, they don't know how to contain it. Yeah, yeah, but the Prime Minister seemed to say the same thing as the American President said by saying that basically this is all about a trade fight between China and the United States. Uh, and, you know, what, and what, was he, what was he getting at there? I mean, was he suggesting that this is very political? I, I, think he has I think he has made that link. In fact, in interviews in the end of this week, he's been making that link, that direct link, saying that China is reacting to the arrest, Canada's arrest of the Huawei executive. We know that they were mm. upset about it, but China itself has distanced itself from linking the, the cases of the two detained Canadians. Right. And now the Prime Minister well, is Bob, saying, yes, Bob, they're linked. It's, cl it's clear he's, he's concerned that we're getting crushed between this war between the mm -hmm. U.S. and Canada, or U.S. and China. Yeah. What's your take on it? Bob? Well, yeah, we are. Look. We have, there, there is great dangers to the Canadian economy if 
China gets even tougher than simply the arrest of two Canadians, which is very serious. Look what China has done before. They did it with South Korea. They cut off the flow of tourists when there was a dispute with a uh, missile de uh, defense system being put in there. They did it when, with Japan, where they cut off some very important minerals that they needed for their economy when a drunken Chinese fisherman hit a J Japanese yeah. uh, cruiser and they arrested him. I mean, they've done it uh, uh, as well to f the Philippines. So th we're, we're probably going to get hit with more than just the arrest of two Canadians. And it's probably going to have some econ economic impact as We've well. We've already seen some of the oh, yeah. economic impact. On Friday, we learned that Madame Jolie, the tourism minister, cannot go, in her view anyway, right. to China uh, to talk about expanding Chinese tourism trade, which is worth thousands of Canadian jobs. So already uh, we're having a dramatic well, impact yeah. on our ability to make deals. Uh, Lisa Raitt, on the other hand, then it's going to fall to Justin Trudeau. I asked him about this and I got no answer yet. What is he going to do about Huawei, the Chinese telecom company? They want to be part of our 5G network, the next generation of wireless our Five Eyes partners have blocked them because they're concerned about espionage. Can Justin Trudeau now justify to Canadians inviting Huawei to be part of that? Well, I think what he said is he's going to listen to his mm. officials and giving advice. But one thing I also found interesting, you asked him who he gets on with most in the world in terms of leaders, and he, he named the New Zealand leader. Jacinta, and the important part there is New Zealand actually has already made the comment that they are going to block Huawei yes, in their right. telecommunications. So maybe that's going to be influential in what Mr. Trudeau decides to do. Look, I don't know that the government is going to have much choice on this. The United States, New Zealand, and Australia have blocked... Japanese major four of their major telecoms just this week announced they're ripping out all of Huawei's 4G technology will not participate in the new 5G mobility France just announced today their major telecom we're not touching Huawei's 5G technology mm -hmm. the Germans are now looking at it too this is a global effort by Western allies who are very suspicious and see Huawei as a national security risk Canada cannot be the only country that says, okay, despite what uh, uh, Bell Canada and, uh, and TELUS may want. Didn't the, pri didn't the Prime Minister basically say as much in his interview with you when he said, I'll be guided by the advice of our intelligence uh, Well, he didn't say anything. But basically, <laughs> if he's going to be guided by their advice, their advice already is no one. No, not actually. Uh, one not. of the guys, Scott Jones uh, of the he, new cyber. He's wavering. He now. wavered. He seems to think okay. it's okay. Yeah, I, I, that <laughs> oh, is yeah. a file to watch. Let me just move to another issue because we're going into an election year, so all this stuff is going to be filtered through that lens and deficits. Look, Justin Trudeau broke a major promise. I'm going to balance budgets by this year, Tonda McCharles. He didn't. So I asked him, are you ever going to balance budgets? He seems completely unconcerned about that. They focus on the debt to GDP ratio as something more important. Is that a, going to be a big issue for him, the, the rising deficits, the stimulus um, growth? I think the bigger challenge for uh, the Trudeau Liberals going ahead in the next year. He, he talked about, you know, yeah, the job UI is down, they're creating jobs, but there are big red flags out yeah. there. Alberta's a big concern for him this year. So I think, I think voters look at it differently than deficit numbers. Uh, Lisa, Lisa, right, how do, I mean, there's a deficit number, but you're right, there's, there's problems in Alberta. Uh, look, GM's pulling plants out. I know the overall picture may look good. That doesn't look mm -hmm. good. What's your take on this? 
So Tonda's right. It's going to be about how the individual person who's casting their ballot is feeling at that moment in time. And what we're seeing is we're seeing wages are not growing as quickly as inflation and taxes are going up, either in terms of higher CPP or higher EI or indeed higher taxes in general and the new carbon tax coming in. That's going to weigh heavily on people. They're going to feel it. They're going to feel when they make choices on what they're going to do for their kids or how they're going to save money for the future of their retirement. And that's when we come in and we say, we can offer you a more affordable future. The consumers better be careful about talking too much about cutting the deficit, because what does cutting the deficit mean? It means cutting. It means cutting spending. So we're going to be asking the leader, where are you cutting? What are you cutting? And he may, may yeah. not have answers but, for that. You know, I do think the liberals are concerned about the deficit. I think the conservatives are scoring points. We've got a, a Nanos poll coming out soon that will show a significant number of Canadians are concerned about the deficit. And I've spoken to some senior liberals who say, we are aware of this. Watch for our budget. Just, just like John Cretchen did this many years ago when everybody was saying that, look, at the deficit is bad, and he, brought, he came in and, and, and tried to tackle it. I think you're going to see an effort by Mr. Morneau to try to uh, deal with the deficit. Uh, whether he wins around the cabinet table, I'm not sure, but, but the, there's a feeling, at least from some people in the government, that they have to try to make a, send a message that they are seriously dealing with the deficit because they're afraid the Conservatives are going to capitalize on it in the election campaign. All right, uh, I got to leave it there. I think deficits could be a ballot box question. Spending, carbon, there's lots of these issues that will be ballot box questions. Lisa Raitt and Bob Fife, great to have you joining us on the Scrum. When we come back, we'll talk more about the Liberal carbon tax plan. Is that shaping up to be one of the big election questions? And yes, pipeline politics out west. Special guest for that round, the NDP's Nathan Cullens joining us. Stay right here with Question Period. is clarity that <clears throat> under the current approach, uh, there is no support for a pipeline through Quebec. Well, a pipeline and a carbon price run through the next federal election. In the West, there's growing fury. There's even been talk about independence. I'm not sure about that, but there's genuine talk about it after the federal government's failure to get the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion built and Justin Trudeau's lack of support for a pipeline heading east. Meanwhile, all this talk about a carbon price or a carbon tax, the Prime Minister's plan is meeting with growing resistance across the country. Are his two signature plans in jeopardy? The Scrum is back to talk about that. Tony McCharles is here and joining us, our CTV Bureau Chief Joyce Napier is here. Craig Oliver is back, of course, and our special guest today is the NDP's Nathan Cullen. Good to have Joyce and Nathan join us on the Scrum. Nathan Cullen, I'll start with you. Um, the Prime Minister said there's no political appetite mm. for a pipeline through Quebec right now, even though we all know the pipe, you know, the project technically is dead. Mm. We said there's no appetite. This mm. is after the Quebec Premier, Premier Legault, said he doesn't want it, and he called it dirty energy. Uh, what do you make of that? Well, it's a little inconsistent, if not hypocritical, because the premier of my province in British Columbia said he doesn't like Mr. Trudeau's, oh, I guess our pipeline that we bought for $4.5 billion. We didn't want that on the West Coast, but Mr. Trudeau said, I don't care. But the Quebec premier gets up and says virtually the same thing about another pipeline, and Trudeau says, oh, well, okay, then we back off. And this is what drives Western Canadians in general, whether you're pro-pipeline or not. Crazy about this government is the inconsistency, the double standards, what applies in Quebec doesn't apply in the West. 
and it's clearly political. It's a political calculation, I think, by Trudeau to not l sacrifice or risk seats in Quebec. Cares a lot less about seats in the no, West, I guess. No appetite in Quebec. But in Alberta, they're starving for a pipeline. They have a huge appetite for a pipeline. Right. And so why didn't the argument, okay, well, they have the appetite, so we'll give them the pipeline. Well, it doesn't seem to be happening. It's three years since they approved a pipeline, four months since the appeal court decision. Nothing ever seems to make any progress. Yeah, but let's face it. Pipelines are like a huge pebble, a $4.5 billion pebble <laughs> now in the pebble. shoe of this government. In the fall fiscal update... Not a word about pipelines. Nothing. And no zero. money to build the no new one that they're planning and, and to build. Zero word. Meets with the provincial premiers at the first minister's meeting in Montreal. A huge meeting. No mention about the oil crisis in Alberta, the dif price differential. It's like it's not happening. So I think they're very uncomfortable with pipelines because they're the environment government mm. and at the same time they're the pipeline government and you can't be both. Kinda. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I think it was also interesting when he discussed, uh, you know, should indigenous groups and environmentalists, but in this case, indigenous groups, have a veto? Uh, and he said to you, no, consent doesn't equal veto. Um, you know, he's kind of putting his cards down on the table now. They eventually will get to yes on the Trans Mountain Pipeline, he thinks. And but But it's also looking like, you know, with the changes they're doing, I mean, Maybe, you know, they did get a go from the regulator and maybe they are looking at the wrong pipeline. Maybe they should have approved Northern Gateway, you know. But this they is, did pass but, the regulator's but this approval. Is the, 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 sometimes call him the Goldilocks Prime Minister, right? Because he's not too hot, not too cold. We're just going to be right in the middle. Mm. But being in the middle of the road sometimes means you just get run you over. You go nowhere. Right. And so he wants to be the green Prime Minister. Goes but can't meet his carbon goals, can't meet his carbon targets. Although he said, I asked him, he yes. said, what did you make of that? I asked him, can you meet your that Stephen Harper Stephen targets? Harper targets yeah. And he claimed yes, even though the Environment Commissioner says no, they're way off track. He keeps insisting they are going to meet themselves. Right. What did you make so, of that? Well, who are you going to believe? You're going to believe the auditor of the country who looked at this and said, here's your plan, here are the goals that you've set, which are Harper's goals, and there's no chance you're going to meet them. Or the Prime Minister who says, lots of people believe we're going to meet them. And could he name one other than himself? Look, it's, it's not plausible. They head off to these big meetings to talk about climate change and say, we're leaders on this, and yet are stuck with a $4.5 billion, 65-year-old pipeline, no strategy to get a new one built, which will add massive amounts to the carbon debt, and on and on it goes. And Canadians are saying, who is this guy? He wants to be all things to all people, and he ends up being the thing, the no th one to everyone. The thing he's got going for him is that your leader has uh, taken a side that doesn't play well all across the country. Mm. It plays to one constituency. Mm. It split the NDP party in the West. And on the other side, we haven't heard what the conservative plan is, right? right? So he, he gets the advantage of saying, at least I've got a plan and we're moving towards something better than doing nothing. But, uh, you know, he has also tried to apply pressure to the conservatives who now are talking about bringing forward a plan closer to an election. The last time uh, Trudeau rolled his ad, it was two months before a campaign, is what Andrew Scheer told me. And, you know, maybe that's He came reasonable. close to calling Andrew Scheer, Joyce, a climate denier when mm. he said Andrew Scheer has an unwillingness to even acknowledge that this is a problem, which I thought was I maybe... No, well, maybe no. Uh, well, maybe but, foreshadowing you know, how nasty this campaign is going to be. But that's what this government is doing, and it's not working. Calling, you know, Saskatchewan a climate denier, this man who is now the premier of Saskatchewan, mm. Scott was Moe. Scott Moe, was an environment minister. Mm. None of the premiers, none of the Canadian premiers are denying that this is an issue. They just don't like the federal government's plan. And if he thinks he's going to meet his targets while fighting four, maybe five provinces, well, good luck. The five provinces are taking him, some of these provinces are taking him to court. That's how much they believe in his plan. Craig, it, it's 
in France there's rioting, not yeah. over just the price of fuel, but certainly partly because of it had started. Justin Trudeau is betting that his plan will work once the so-called rebate kicks in. I asked him how he expects yeah. behavior yeah. to change if people are getting more money for basically doing the same thing. Well, look, I, I think that there are enough polls around to show that Canadians basically support the concept. Uh, and if they can get checks back in the meantime, I think that's going to work for Trudeau. Well, I, so, I, and because Canadians believe that this is the biggest crisis facing the globe. It's a concept that they accept. It's a concept that is odd when you no. say pollution is not free, but hey, no. we're going to give you money back. Well, the idea, no, but the idea behind it is reward good behavior, give people uh, yeah. money to deal with, and make smarter choices about but, how they consume but you're, but to carbon be fair, fuels. You're not rewarding good behavior, you're rewarding and then hoping that, that translates is, no. to good right, behavior. Come on, right. come on. But, part but, of this is sending checks to Canadians just before absolutely. an election, which is, which is what Stephen Harper did before the last election. It's, it's a ploy that it's, it's crass in its nature. Here's a check. If they could put Justin Trudeau's face on the check, they would, but they can't. It's against the rules. But that's the idea, is to incur good feeling amongst the public by having a check show up in your mailbox. Maybe it'll work. It's a little bit cynical. And is it going to get the goal? Exactly. Is it going to get can, can Canada somehow that transformed into a, a true clean energy champion question. in the world? But that's an unknown. That's an unknown. And in fact, yeah. there is evidence to suggest that um, uh, requiring people to pay for yeah. A higher price on yeah. carbon reduces consumption oh, down the road. So Do you? Uh, and, and actually, interesting. They're trying to sort of carve out a somewhat market approach that kind of contradicts but, a lot of the conservatives. Know, uh, approach them, to know this. them by their by their do support. Them. They needed some way to alleviate the unpleasantness of their gas prices going up. Right. And this is one way Absolutely. of doing that. I, right. I don't think it's illegitimate. But if they want to be a clean, green champion in the world, you have to ask, how much money have you spent subsidizing the oil and gas sector versus how much have you spent helping clean energy get on the block? Yeah. And we think the best ratio yeah. that we've been able to find out from this government, it's $50 for every dollar spent in clean energy, 50 going to oil and gas. Look at their carbon targets. 80% of the oil and gas sector is exempted from the carbon pricing that Trudeau is putting down. So Canadians are yeah, for sure going to be picking an up a tab. industry that's bringing mm -hmm. in right. revenue as well. So, you know, you can't exclude that. Yeah, but Canadians uh, are saying, let's make this thing fair. Let's okay. make it work. And if you're not making the oil and gas sector change their ways, then how are we going to get to any of these targets that Trudeau says we're going to meet? We're not. Uh, there's no question this becomes one of the ballot box questions Absolutely. in the year. There's no question about it. All right, got to leave there. Nathan Cullen, great to have you here. Tonda, Joyce, and Craig, always good to see you. Go get your Christmas shopping done. We should say, by the way, Center Block, which you see behind us, is now going to be closed for the next 10 years for a massive renovation. And there's a building just to the west of it where people like Nathan Cullen will be debating the issues for the next decade. We'll find out if you're there for the next decade. <laughs> All right, next week we will continue with our leader interviews as we head into the election year. Both Mr. Shear and Mr. Singh are set to join us getting us all set up for a very busy 2019. That's all for today. Thanks so much for watching. We will be back here in seven short days.